Church, I want you to know that faith church here is a place where it's okay to not be okay. This is a place where it's okay to say, you know what, my life is not what I want it to be. It's not what I wish it would be. It hasn't turned out like I had hoped it would be. We want you to know that this is a place where it's okay to come in with problems and to actually open up and share your problems. It's not a place where you've got to be quiet and not tell other people what's going on. We want this to be a place where you're real. And because of that, from time to time, we do series like this where we're going to acknowledge and talk about some of the hard things that we have in life that we're facing. And today we're going to talk about one of those topics that I think are one of the main causes of the words, I'm not okay. One of the main reasons why people find themselves over and over saying, I'm just not okay. I don't feel okay. I don't feel all right. I'm not okay. Today we're going to talk about anxiety. Here's what I know is that even as I say the word anxiety, even as I tell some of you that we're going to talk about it, it just makes anxiety well up inside of you. <laughs> You're like, I don't even know if I want to talk about it. I don't know that I want to hear about it. That's kind of the way anxiety works. It's kind of what it does to you. And in fact, uh, the video that you just saw just a moment ago in that video gave some great examples of some things that cause anxiety in our lives, right? Like social media is one of the worst things. I'm just, I'm just being honest. Like it's one of the best things because it brings so many uh, connections, you know. It's easier for grandparents to be connected from a long distance. It's easier for friends to stay connected to friends. It's great for so many reasons. And then it's bad for so many reasons because like what you just saw, right? It's that anxiety that builds up in you when you're like, I got to keep up. I got to compare myself to everybody else. Everybody puts their best picture out on Facebook, right? Like nobody is like, hey, here's my kids throwing up on our trip to Disney, Right? Nobody does that. They're like, here's my kids. The one moment they smiled, we took a picture and we put it on Facebook. And if they didn't all smile, then we didn't go, right? And so we try to compare ourselves and it causes anxiety. It builds up inside of us. And, and, and here, here's the challenge with, with anxiety. Is, is anxiety does something to you that makes you shut down. And in fact, let me just briefly share a little bit of the science behind it. I want you to look at this here. The green brain here on your left, this is a normal brain. It's a brain that's operating without any anxiety in it, you know, or minimal anxiety. That's what the brain is supposed to look like, all right? The one on the right, what this is, is this is a brain that's under anxiety. And the red is, what it does in the front lobe is this area that's in the red is an area of the brain that's actually inactive. It's actually not working. Nothing is going to it. See, this is what happens when you have anxiety in life. Your brain actually shuts down, which is why when you have an anxiety attack, you can't think clearly and you can't focus. There's a physical reason for it. It's because when anxiety attacks, your brain literally shuts down. It paralyzes itself. That's what anxiety does to us. And the challenge with anxiety is it's not like this is something that just attacks adults, right? Anxiety is something that kids struggle with, too. And in fact, there's a guy named Philip Zimbardo who says this, right? He says, it appears that children these days face the same levels of stress and anxiety as the average psychiatric patient of the 1950s. I was just talking with a school teacher this morning who, when she saw this quote, she goes, that's so true. <laughs> I completely agree with that. See, there has been study after study after study that shows that the United States is the most anxious nation in the world. <laughs> From children to adults, it attacks all of us. Now, before we dive into the deep end and we begin to try to talk about anxiety and what are some of God's solutions for it and how do we deal with it, how do we handle it, before we do that, I want to make sure I'm really clear about something first, all right? I'm not talking today about clinical anxiety. 
I'm not talking about the disease of anxiety. See, see, for some of us, we learned anxiety from some role models in our lives. We learned anxiety from some people who had authority in our life, a parent or a guardian or a teacher. There's people that have informed our lives towards anxiety. And, and some of us, we go and we see a therapist to help us deal with that. And we need to keep doing that. Others of us, there's a chemical imbalance in our life that causes us to be anxious and to have anxiety, and we take medication for that. And if that's you, you need to keep doing that. That's a good thing. In fact, when it comes to, to that chemical imbalance and, and things like that, like that's no different than if you have a disease and there's a cure available for it. Of course you should take that cure. Of course you should take that medicine. So as we dive in and talk today, I want to make sure that you know, I'm not speaking to those of you that have clinical anxiety, that have a chemical imbalance and are taking medication, to those of you that have had such hardships in your life that it's caused you that you're like, I need to go see a therapist to help deal with this. I'm not speaking to that. Keep doing those things. Those are good things. Those are wise things to do. But I do want you to tune in, even if that is you, because as we talk about some of the more everyday anxiety kind of things, what we're going to talk about today are some things that I think you could add to your life that I think will help. Not in replacement of therapy or in replacement of medication, but in addition to. So let me begin. Let me, let me tell you a story about a time when I remember I had some significant anxiety. I remember it was my junior year in high school. And uh, it was one of the best evenings ever because they called a snow day the night before, right? That never happens. And so I called up a couple of buddies, and we all said, look, we know we don't have school tomorrow, and it hasn't started snowing yet, at least not bad. It was snowing, but it was only a couple inches. We're like, let's all get together. Let's go rent like 20 movies and watch them all tonight. And so a couple of buddies came into my house. Once they got there, we got in the car, and we were headed to go get the movies. We went and we got the movies. I don't remember what we rented, but it was probably like Braveheart, Guardian, and The Patriot, right? Like it was that kind of movie. We were ready for a long night. We, we get back in the car. We're coming back to my house. Now, I lived directly across from the high school, all right? Like, I walked to school growing up. And as we're coming back, my brother, who's in the car with us, says, hey, what if we did donuts in the high school parking lot? <laughs> Nothing good comes from that. Like, so I was like, well, I, I don't know. I, mean, what, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm the one driving, so I'm very hesitant. Like, I'm like, ah. And everybody else in the car is like, yes, let's do them. Let's go. And so we go to the high school parking lot because peer pressure. I can't say no. So we go to the high school parking lot, and we try to do donuts. Now, something that I learned after the fact was that if you are in a front-wheel drive car and you want to do donuts, you need to go backwards. <laughs> learned that afterwards. A little too late. So we go to the high school parking lot. We go to do donuts. Long story short, I nail a pole in the high school parking lot. The good news was the car was still somewhat drivable. So we drove it back home. And I will never forget sitting in the driveway. I made everybody else stay in the car. I said, no, stay here. We're not getting out yet. Because I had no idea how in the world I was going to tell my parents what I had just done. <laughs> and my brother was no help. He just kept going, man, I'm glad I wasn't driving. <laughs> And I remember just being frozen in place because I wasn't sure how do I tell dad what I did? How do I explain what just happened? How can, how can I possibly do that? <laughs> and so uh, it's what anxiety does to us, though, is it freezes us like that. And for some of you, it doesn't take a car accident for that to happen in your life. 
but rather it can be simple little things. For some of you, anxiety just simply comes out of you're headed to work one day, and you know that you're pushing the limits on getting there on time, but you know that you can make it as long as the road is clear. And you even find yourself beginning to pray, God, have 127 not be backed up. But of course, what is 127 on the one day that you're running late? It's backed up for miles, and there's nothing you can do. But sit in your car and become anxious and worry, what's the boss going to say when I show up late? What's going to happen when I get there? Or, Or maybe for others of you, your anxiety comes out of financial things in your life. Maybe this last month was a crazy busy month, and because you were so busy and so overwhelmed with the stuff you had to do, you decided, well, it's okay to eat out a few extra times. It's not a big deal. And so you ate out a few extra times, and then there was those shoes that you wanted, and then there was the new phone that came out, and of course you needed the new phone, you wanted it, and you convinced yourself, well, it's a monthly pan, and I'll pay it off per month, and da 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 it's not that big deal, and I only got to put a little bit down to begin with. And, and then all of a sudden when the credit card bill comes at the end of the month, you don't even have to look at it, you already know. You don't have enough to pay it off. And the anxiety in you begins to well up. And you feel like, I, just, I don't have enough money to even pay my bills. What do I do? I feel like I just keep going further and further in debt. Maybe for others of you, maybe it's that you're an introvert. <laughs> and extroverts, they don't understand introverts. Extroverts think introverts don't like people. And you're like, no, I love people. In fact, I want to be with people. But you've got a group of friends. And once again, the thing that they've chosen to do this weekend is they've chosen to do one of those things that as an introvert you don't love doing. And you just want them to understand. It's not because you don't want to be with them. It's not because you don't want to hang out. You love the time you have with them. It's just that this kind of thing you don't enjoy. But you know you're going to stand there and not be like the extroverts. The extrovert's going to stand there and look at you. And you feel like they're judging you. And you're like, no, I want to be with you. Just not in this one thing. And the anxiety begins to well up before the night ever comes, before you ever even get there, because you're already thinking about how it's going to feel. Or maybe you're single. And it feels like every single Instagram, Facebook post, or tweet has to do with somebody who's falling in love. Some couple that's together. And it's, it's, it's not that you don't love their love stories. It's not that you're not excited for them. It's not like that you're hoping that couples just break up and die alone. <laughs> It's just that you get sick and tired of seeing it over and over again. It's that you feel like you can't really open up to say, I just, I just want one time for that to be me that's getting that connected and falling in love. Maybe you're a business owner. And maybe the P&L statement comes in at the end of the month and you're looking at it and things aren't measuring up and it's not what it needs to be and you feel all of the pressure and the weight of that. And when you're a business owner, you feel like there's the financial risk that you have to take in order to have success. But man, it adds up. And man, it's hard. And man, it weighs on you. Or maybe you're a manager and there's people that you've got to oversee and there's personalities that you're dealing with and there's the challenges of how much money's coming in and how much is going out. And you feel that weight and you feel that pressure and you feel like, boy, if I don't make this work, what if I can't? What if I'm not good enough? What, what if this doesn't continue? What would that do to my family? And the anxiety begins to build up. See, you look around the world, and there are so many people that are struggling with anxiety. And what's interesting is so when something new pops up in your life, and you go, okay, I shouldn't have to worry about this, right? I shouldn't have to worry about that. Anxiety goes, hold on, watch this, <laughs> Right? Like, you find yourself worrying about things that you shouldn't even need to be worried about, but that's what anxiety does to you. And so today, as we explore anxiety, this list that I've given you of examples, it could just keep going, couldn't it? 
You're thinking of things in your life that I haven't said that you're like, well, he didn't say this, and he didn't say this, and he didn't say this. But there's things that you can think of that cause anxiety. And the pressure and the weight of the problems all around us begin to overwhelm us, and it just causes the brain to freeze. That's why we're talking about this today. It's a big deal, and I believe that God has some answers for us about anxiety. So to begin, let me give you a working statement around anxiety that I think will kind of direct our time today and help us understand it a little bit. Anxiety exists when the problems around you overwhelm the peace within you. Anxiety exists when the problems around you overwhelm the peace within you. Let me see if I can give you like a physical representation of this and kind of show you what this is. If this right here is me or you, all right? We've all got problems in our life, right? Like we've got problems. Like, like if you have kids, you have problems, right? And so you've got, you got, you've got kids, you've got a problem. Maybe you've got two kids. That means you've got, well, you've got a whole lot more than two problems, but we'll just put two up there. But you've got kids, you've got problems. Maybe there's problems at work, or maybe you're married, and not in my marriage, but in your marriage, there's problems. And, 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 and then you've got schedules to keep up with, and there's assignments you've got, and there's professors you have to please, and there's bosses that care what you do. And here's what begins to happen, is anxiety comes when the problems around you overwhelm the peace within you. And the challenge is there's no such thing as a problem-free life. None of us get to have a life without problems. And so anxiety comes when the problems around you overwhelm the peace within you. And we've all had moments like this, right? We've all had these moments where you feel like the problems are adding up and they're just too much and you can't keep up. And the challenge is that anxiety will steal your best moments from you. Anxiety will steal the best moments that you could have had with your kids from you. It will steal the best moments that you could have had with your spouse from you. It will steal the best moments that you could have been having in your life from you. And and you can try to work it away. You can try to buy it away. You can try to drink it away. But none of that will solve the problem of anxiety. And you see, I think the truth is the majority of our culture sits in this. A majority of our culture sits in anxiety. And we bring it into our marriage, and we bring it to our parenting, and we bring it to our jobs, and we bring it into our friendships. And I believe that God has an answer for this. Now, there's a verse in Scripture that a lot of people like to use for anxiety that's God's answer for this. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 from the Bible. Let me show you what it says. Here's God's answer for anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything. Well, there you go. Let's pray, and we can go home, right? Man, that was that's the easiest sermon I ever preached. That's... Do not be anxious about anything. That's it. <laughs> oh, you're anxious? I've got the answer for you. Don't be. <laughs> now, here's the funny thing is, is I actually know people that, that will, will say that. <laughs> just all these people with anxiety, you know, they just need to not be anxious. Oh, good. Good. That's not helpful at all. But that's, I'm, glad, I'm glad you can say that. This is what scripture says. It does say this. But to understand this one verse, we need to look at the context. Context is always important. So what are the verses around it saying that leads to this statement. That's what I want to show you. Philippians chapter 4. Now let's look at verses 4 through 7 so you see what's going on around this. Here it goes. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. That's going to be key. Rejoice. Rejoice, Lord, always. And I will say it again. Rejoice. It's so important. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Why can we not be anxious? Because the Lord, because we're going to rejoice and because the Lord is near. And we're going to explain that. We're going to unpack that in a minute, okay? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the scripture says to rejoice in the Lord. It says it twice. It says, I'll say it again, rejoice. And it says, because the Lord is near. And then it says, do not be anxious. And I think what it's saying here, what it's telling us, is that God is at the center of the answer to anxiety. God is at the center of the answer to anxiety. The key to dealing with anxiety is centered in the Lord's presence and in who he is. See, the scripture began by telling us to rejoice. And so, so let me ask you, what if, what if the key to unlocking the prison of anxiety is found in our capacity to praise? What if the key to unlocking the prison of anxiety is found in our capacity to praise? Now, now some of you are like, well, there has to be more than that. And there is. There, there's, there's a whole lot more than that. We're going to dive into more than just that. But see, if anxiety exists when the problems around you overwhelm the peace within you, we said that earlier, let me flip that statement around now and tell you that peace exists when the praise inside you overwhelms the problems around you. Peace exists when the praise inside of you overwhelms the problems around you. In other words, praise is God's invitation in the midst of anxiety. Praise is God's key to this. And God invites us not to overlook our problems and our stresses. He invites us not to pretend that they don't exist or that they're not there. You need to understand that praise is not some sort of passive thing that you do. It's actually an active response to anxiety. In fact, praise is us engaging the presence of God over the problems of our life. Praise is us engaging with the presence of God over the problems of life. So when the problems come, we don't just go, oh, no, can't do it. When the problems come, we begin to engage God. In fact, praise is so important that I want to impact what this means. What does praise mean? You know, and we're going to jump to the Old Testament, to Psalm 121. And if you want to turn there or flip there or thumb there on your phone or whatever it may be, you can do that, Psalm 121. And while you're getting there, let me set up the context of that verse, that chapter for you. It's written by a guy named King David. And King David was no stranger to problems. When David was just a young boy, he was asked to fight Goliath, the giant. <laughs> That's a problem, right? <laughs> Later on in his life, the king wants to kill David. Why? See, David wasn't king yet, and he wants to kill him. Why? Because <laughs> he was jealous. <laughs> Why was he jealous? Because he saw God's hand on him. That's a problem. When the king wants you dead, that's a problem. Later in his life, David made some really poor decisions. He made the decision to have an adulterous affair. He had to deal with the problems that come from that kind of a bad decision. David's kids, wow, some of them were whack jobs. There's no other word for it. I'm, actually, there's several other words for it, but they all got to go along the same way. And, and in the end, one of his kids tried to overthrow him and become king himself. I mean, David had problems. He was no stranger to problems. And so the problems around him could have overwhelmed the peace within him. It could have led to anxiety. How did David handle the problems? Well, I want to read to you Psalm 121. So I want to invite you into the same journey because David seems to handle them different. David seems to have learned to deploy praise over the problems in his life. To deploy praise over the problems in his life. So Psalm 121, beginning with verse 1, says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 
See, David is inviting us to the first thing of praise. David says, I look up to where my help comes from. And where does our help come from? Our help comes from God. And I know that that seems really simple. And you're like, well, that seems too simple. But here's, here's what you need to know. We never graduate past this truth. There's never a point where suddenly your help comes from anywhere other than God. We don't graduate beyond this. And so when problems come in life, this is where we have to begin. We have to go, okay, so where does my help come from? A problem has come up. Where does my help come from? But what we tend to do is we tend to start with our problems instead of start by looking up. And so the first thing we have to do when we begin to sense anxiety coming in and our problems overwhelming the peace inside of us, the first thing we have to do is we have to answer what is praise, what is it? It's the recognition of who God is. The first thing we do to live a life of praise is to recognize who God is. And as simple as that sounds, we can mess this up all the time. This is us saying in the midst of our problems, (laughs) I'm going to look up first (laughs) and not at my problems first. But what do we typically do? We typically start with our problems, don't we? We typically go, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed by this and this and this and this, and I've got to have an answer for this, and I've got to figure this out, and I've got to figure that out. We tend to start with our problems (laughs) rather than beginning by looking up to where our help comes from. And listen, listen, if you start in the wrong place, you will end up in the wrong place. So we've got to start it right. And what does praise invite us to say? It invites us to say, you know what? I'm going to start with God because that's where my help comes from. And if I start with God and recognizing who he is, then everything else is informed by that. If I begin by reminding myself who my God is, that he's a God who loves me, that he's a God who's faithful, that he's a God who's kind, that he's a God who's merciful. If I begin reminding myself, recognizing who God is, then that informs me on how to deal with my problems. And that will help me to deploy praise over fear and praise over problems. So when your problems get big and begin to overwhelm you, the first thing God invites you to do is recognize who he is. And here's why this is so important, because when you recognize who he is, it allows you to give praise. And here's the thing. Praise and anxiety cannot share the same heart for very long. Praise and anxiety cannot share the same heart for very long. And so when anxiety begins to seep in, you can actually overwhelm it with praise and remove it. <laughs> but it starts with recognizing who God is. So praise starts by recognizing who God is, but it doesn't end there. Psalm 121, verses 3 through 6 says this. It says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. It's kind of like David's language. In the first two verses that we read earlier, it was like, hey, you got to look up. you got to look to God. But now it's kind of like his language has changed, and all of a sudden he's like, yeah, yeah, but God also, he's there, but he's also around you. So now look around you and see God at work around you. So look up to where your help comes from, and then recognize who God is. He's a God who is working with you and around you. Well, what it allows us to do is we start by recognizing who God is, but then because his presence is right next to us and with us too, it allows us to learn to rely on God. And so praise is the recognition of who God is, but it's also then next, it's the reliance on God. See, recognition has to grow into reliance. 
It's not enough to just give lip service and say, oh God, you're all these things without placing any real practical arenas of your life in his hands of trust towards him. See, see, praise was never meant to be three songs that you sing in a room like this on a Sunday morning. That's not praise. (laughs) Praise was always meant to invade the practical arenas of your life where you actually begin to say, okay, God, I see a problem. I'm reminding myself who you are, and I'm going to rely on you. And so you see, the problem is anxiety grows when I start to think it's all on me. When, when, when we don't do step two and rely on God, anxiety grows. When you begin to think that you have to answer all of your problems and you have to figure it all out, that's what causes anxiety. That's what makes your problems grow, which makes them overwhelm the peace within you because you're relying on yourself. This is one of the major reasons we get anxious. See, I begin to think, well, I've, I, I have to make my marriage work. I've got to make my kids be good. I have to be great at my job so I can keep my job so that they can keep giving me promotions and keep giving me raises so I can take care of my family and keep giving them vacations that look good on Facebook. They've got to keep up. And we begin to think that it all relies on us. And the weight, listen, listen, the weight of all of the problems in your life will crush you because you were never meant to carry the weight of your problems. You were never meant to do all those things alone. Now, do you have a responsibility to address the problems in your life? Absolutely. But you do that in connection and coordination with God. See, praise reminds us that there is a God who is all-powerful and all-loving who is meant to carry the weight of our world. And we're supposed to rely on him. In fact, our reliance on God is one of the greatest weapons that we have against anxiety. Because let me tell you, anxiety grows when I start to think it's all on me. Or another way to say this is that anxiety grows when we make decisions apart from relying on God. Anxiety grows when we make decisions apart from relying on God. And so because you make decisions on your own apart from God, what that means is you own the consequences of those decisions. When you make decisions apart from God, you own the consequences of those decisions because he didn't make it for you. He didn't tell you to do that, so you own the consequences of those. Let let me give you an example from my own life of this that played a big part in my family's life. See, see, we began ministry out in Wisconsin. We were in La Crosse, Wisconsin. We were there for three years. I was the youth pastor there. And uh, for the first year, it worked really well because I thought I was cool. Uh, year two, I learned I was not cool. And in year three, I realized to be a cool youth pastor, I had to turn it on week after week after week. And I didn't like doing that, and I wasn't so good at it. And so I quickly realized I don't want to be a youth pastor anymore. <laughs> And so my wife and I had begun to talk and pray about what would be next. And we'd gotten job offers to go be youth pastors at other places. But, but, but we knew I don't want to be a youth pastor. And what would happen typically in the past is when we would get a job offer, we would come together, we would pray and decide if God has to do that or not. Then one day I get a phone call from a church in Sturgis, Michigan. And they want me to come be their small groups pastor, their spiritual formation pastor. And, and I was just like, I was so excited. I never stopped to pray. Not, not, not once. I told my wife, we're supposed to do this. This is it. This is what we're supposed to do. I'll never forget, we'd been in Sturgis for a couple of weeks, and I came to my wife one day, and I said, honey, this feels so wrong, and I don't know what to tell you, but I never prayed about if we're supposed to be here. And what we would find at Sturgis was all kinds of problems. 
It was two of the hardest years of ministry that we'd ever been through. We never felt like we fit. We didn't feel like it worked. We had good friendships. We had good relationships. We saw people come to know Jesus, but it just didn't feel right. And it was such a hard two years of ministry. Now, hear me. I'm not saying that because we didn't pray, God said it's going to be wrong and tough. But because we didn't pray, because we didn't ask, because we didn't rely on God to help us make the decision, who owns the problems of the decision? (laughs) I do. Now, can I tell you that the next time a church came along and wanted us to consider going to their church, (laughs) we prayed like crazy. (laughs) In fact, there was churches we said no to, but then finally, eventually, there was a church we felt like God was calling us to, and we said yes to it. Here's the crazy thing. We got to that church. Can I tell you, their problems were worse than at Sturgis. (laughs) It wasn't here. Don't worry. (laughs) Some of you are like, wait, was he at Sturgis then here? Is he talking about us? No. The problems there were worse than at Sturgis but our time there was easier than it was at Sturgis. Because I was able to simply go, okay, God, (laughs) you brought us here. It's your problems. I'll work my tail off. I'll do everything that you asked me to do. I'll I'll be as much Christ-like as I possibly can be. I'll honor you in everything that I attempt. (laughs) But these problems, I know they're not just mine. I know they're yours. See, if you want to live a life that is anxiety-free, you have to learn how to rely on God. How to rely on him in your marriage, in your finances, at your work, in your parenting, and in your decision making. See, our recognition of God, who God is, has to translate into a reliance on God. So it's not just about I recognize who he is, but it's that that translates and I begin to rely on him. Now, David wasn't done yet, Psalm 121. Let me read you the last two verses of that chapter. It says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. Just listen to these words and let them sit over you. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life, and the Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. <sighs> Can you feel the peace in those words? Man, the Lord's going to watch over me all the time. My coming and my going, he's going to watch over me. See, David is taking recognition of who God is, He's translating it into a reliance upon God, which then enables him to do the third part of praise, which is to rest in God. To rest in God. Sometimes the deepest manifestation of praise is to actually just rest in God. And you don't know that you actually crave rest until you're tired, right? (laughs) It's not until you're really tired that you're like, wow, I really need to rest, (laughs) And what's interesting is that anxiety and rest don't coexist well, do they? If you've got a life of anxiety that you're dealing with, you probably don't have very much rest in your life. They don't work well together. And so what God does is God invites us to recognize who he is, to start with him and not our problems, which then allows us to rely on him and to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you through this. These problems are on your shoulders and not on mine. And when we do that, it's the only thing that enables us to begin to find rest. Now, some of you have tried to find rest in the midst of your anxiety. Some of you have tried to find rest in God, but you've done it without relying on God first. (laughs) And so it didn't work. You were like, okay, God, I'm gonna, I know who you are. And, and then you were like, and I'm going to fix all the problems, and hopefully you'll let me rest. <laughs> and it doesn't work that way. You recognize who God is. You rely on God <laughs> for the fix the problems, to work through your problems, to help you with your problems, not remove you from them, 
Relying on God doesn't mean that he just takes, takes those problems away from you. <laughs> but it's that he walks through them with you, which then allows you to find rest in God. Now, there are some of you, though, <laughs> who live a life intentionally <laughs> where you want everything to be on you. There are some of you who live your life in such a way that you intentionally want everything to be on you. Why would anyone live that way? <laughs> Because most people desperately want control and to rely on someone else or anyone else is to give up control, even to rely on God. Do you know who tends to struggle with anxiety the most in life? Those who struggle with the need for control the most. Because if the key to removing the anxiety from your life is to rely on God, that's going to require you to give him control. <laughs> and if you can't give up control, you're going to keep feeling anxious. And so can we be really honest for a moment? Like, I just mean like incredibly honest. By show of hands, how many of you don't like to rely on other people you'd rather do it yourself? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, you just look around, and it's, it's hands all over. Why in the world is it that anxiety is such a big issue in our world? It's because of this. I, I think the evil one, Satan, has worked very, very hard to get every single one of us to feel the need for control so that it can give us anxiety, which causes our brain to shut down and stop so that we freeze and we can't work. <laughs> and he wants to hide from you that the answer is in praise. So let me bring some really hard truth now to all of us, especially those of us that have a high need to be in control. Are you ready? Here it is, some really hard truth. We don't control much. We don't control much. I don't control the stock market. I can't control my kids. I can't control my spouse. I can't control my boss or my professors. I can't control my teachers. I can't control the guilt from my past. We don't control much. And so what anxiety does is anxiety creates control freaks. This is why praise is so important. Praise in your life breaks the need for control in your life so that you can learn to rest in God. But we like to fool ourselves. We like to tell ourselves, well, I've got enough money in the bank and I've been setting it aside and I've been investing in stocks and I've been really smart and I'm really good. Financially, I'm set and I'm okay. And then the stock market crashes and you realize I don't control much. In fact, about 15 years ago, several of you experienced exactly that. Other of us will say, oh, no, things are good at work. I'm doing great at work. I got a good job. I like the people I work with. I mean, some things could be better, but I'm fine. Everything in life feels good. <laughs> and then you get laid off, and you realize I don't control much. Others of you, you're like, oh, I've got great kids. I've been investing in them and working on them, and I got good kids, and things are great, and everything's just fine. And then they hit puberty. <laughs> And you learn you control nothing <laughs> in their life. <laughs> See, the places where we have the least control tend to cause the most anxiety. And what we've said all day today is that praise is the key to dealing with anxiety because praise and anxiety can't share the same heart for very long. And this brings us to our so what moment. So what does this mean? What do we do with this? Where do we go from here? See, you really only have two options you have two options today of how to deal with your anxiety. You can start with your problems, live as if it is all up to you, try to control all of the outcomes, and I promise you at the end you'll be anxious. Or 
you can recognize God for who he is. Begin to rely on him and allow yourself to rest in his presence. Those are your two options. And so let me just say that today, you can't force peace. Nobody can just look at you and say, stop being anxious, (laughs) have peace. (laughs) Doesn't work that way. You can't force peace. But peace is a fruit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Peace is a fruit of a life of praise. And so let me finish with the same what-if statement we began today. What if God has a better way? What if, God, what if God doesn't want anxiety to control your life? What if anxiety doesn't have to be some low-grade fever that you just medicate and keep living with and you can't deal, you just, you just have to deal with it? What if anxiety doesn't have to be something that you deal with every day? But what if God has a better way? But to experience this better way, you have to choose a life of praise. Sometimes to do this, we just need to be reminded of what God says about you and me. So here's what I want you to do. In these next moments, I want you to sit back. I want you to relax. And I want you to listen to this song and watch my friend Avery dance. And allow some praise through the words of God to begin to set you free.